We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hello and welcome to The Sports Social, bringing you this week's joy, humanity and heartbreak from sport. Hello. Hi Liv. Hi Georgie. Where are you corresponding to us from? I'm coming to you live from Mooloolaba, um, which is, you know, sounds lovely. I was, I was actually, um, <laughs> I was so excited because I was going to be like super smug. I was like going to be like, oh yeah, I've just been at the beach. The weather has been magic. Uh, yeah, just getting my bronze look on and all glowy, just all beach ready, super glowy, super like refreshed and nourished, but. No, I've been up for half the night with a very sick child and we are going to spend oh, the oh. day in our apartment. So parenting, right? Like you're just parenting in a different, less adequate location. Just holidays. <laughs> yeah. With less of your stuff in a smaller space. I literally went to the pharmacy and said, give me one of everything. <laughs> oh, poor little thing. Yeah, she's, she'll be all right. But yeah, she's pretty crook. <laughs> It will get better. This will not always be holidays. <laughs> this too shall pass, right? I mean, it, will, it, it, I it really has reminded me of why we don't go on holidays. <laughs> <Point of time. laughs> it gets better. It really does. So today we're going to be talking to Bonnie Hancock, who is a former Iron Woman and who has just paddled around Australia. I'm obsessed with Bonnie. This is an incredible story and I'm so excited to, to chat to her. Hello, it's Bonnie speaking. Hi, Bonnie. It's Libby and Georgie from the Sports Social Podcast. How are you? Hello, I'm well. How are you going? Uh, how's the body after everything that you <laughs> have been doing and done over the last oh, year? I know. It's it's so nice to be home, to be honest. I, um, I've got a little bit of a disc bulge is the big one, but it, it's not too, oh. yeah, <laughs> which is probably expected. So, just got to give that a bit of a break but I think I came out of it not too bad considering like the shoulders and everything are fine which is the ones I was expecting were going to be really bad but just that sitting position all day was oh was rough so it's um yeah literally sitting on the couch so it is so nice (laughs) it's so good um yeah Bonnie, for people who aren't familiar with your story and what you've just done can you explain to our listeners what has been occupying your time for the last 10 months, 11 months Absolutely. of the year? Absolutely. So in, on the 19th of December 2021, it was like so long ago, I set off from Mermaid Beach, which is where I live here. I literally walked out the door onto the beach, set out and did a big clockwise loop around Australia on a surf ski. So um, basically the surf ski is about 10 kilos. They're made of carbon fibre. Uh, they're pretty pithy. And uh, I read a book three years previously about uh, Freya Hofmeister. She was the German woman who paddled around in 2009 and, and basically beat the blokes and, and had the world record of 10 months, 22 days. And once I read that book, I just could not get the idea out of my head. It was six months of kind of tossing it around and going, this is, this is so silly. Like, you know, it's going to be so expensive. You've got your three dietitian clinics that you worked so hard for, but I could not get the idea out of my head. So um, it was a couple of years of sort of planning and putting it together and 
yeah, I, I managed to get that recorded. I did, uh, I think it was eight months and around 10 days or so. So, um, yeah, got to ratify it all with Guinness World Records. But, um, yeah, managed to get there. But you didn't just stop there, did you? You you also then decided off the back of that, because with the amazing conditioning that your body would have been in, you went, oh, that's not enough. I'm also going to see if I can paddle, you know, the furthest that anyone has ever done, man or woman, in 24 hours. Yes, I did. I think my physio was shaking his head because, yeah, I, I literally went in to see him just after the paddle and he said, you know, you do have a disc bulge here. Um, you need to rest it and be careful. And I didn't want to tell him that I had this idea. Um, basically, through the paddle, I managed to break the women's world record for furthest distance paddle in 24 hours. So I did 213 kilometres in, in 24 hours and found out the men's record. I didn't find this out until after, actually, that the men's record was 227K. So I just thought there is never going to be another time in my life where I'm as conditioned to sit in this ski all day and paddle and it's just, oh, it's a whole different level though. It was so interesting. Um, we went up to Airlie Beach. Basically, we wanted to get the the wind without the big swells because when you have to paddle through the night time, it's very dangerous to have the big ground swells behind you. And across the Great Australian Bight, we got around five metres of swells and you fall off and your boat's trying to find you in the dark. It's really dangerous. But yeah, I, I was... Uh, really happy I ended up getting 234k done uh, by the end I was so sore I was pretty much paddling on one side my left arm had blown up um, oh my goodness. but I was so stoked and just to be able to yeah help kind of take that standard up a little bit with the I call it shorter course which doesn't really make sense over 24 hours but by that time it felt to me like it was more of a sprint. <laughs> I am fascinated by your mindset like particularly coming from being a a sprinter, a literal a, a literal sprinter with fifty and one hundred meters in the pool, like how do you get your mind ready after spending eight months in your kayak, then to go, oh yeah, I'm just going to spend another twenty four hours. Why not? Like YOLO. I mean, Livy, I grew up watching you and uh, me and my sisters and what you did is, is just unfathomable. I can't even get my head around how you actually go that fast. But in terms of me, I, um, you know, it's not something I ever certainly grew up saying I'd paddle around Australia again. It started from this really small seed of an idea and I think it was an interesting one going into it. I really didn't know what to expect. I knew I didn't want to go into it with any niggles. So my training was actually kept the same around the 10K, 20K um, paddling sessions, um, you know, a couple of hours. I knew you can't exactly train for 100K every day. It was going to be about conditioning as I went. Uh, I was trying to do it in six months and we ended up getting uh, holed up in a couple of islands up north for, you know, weeks at a time, a week at a time because it was 35 knot winds. But basically, I was saying this to someone the other day, it was around three weeks in, that was probably the hardest time where I felt like pulling out. It was like my back, I said my back was almost breaking every day. It just felt like something was really wrong. And I thought, if I can just get one month in here, first of all, it won't be as embarrassing if I pull out because everyone's invested in me and all of this time and and energy and money. I had my support crew with me. I thought, just get to one month, don't even think past that. And by the time I got to a month, I was around the border of New South Wales and Victoria and I was like, okay, 
you've done a month now, how are you going? You know, this is all sort of that internal, that self-talk. And I thought, just do one more month. If you can do one more month, again, you'll be two months in, you'll be down somewhere, you know, further into the journey and it won't be as bad. And I basically just did that. I broke it down into the smallest steps. In the end, it was getting to every thousand kilometers and we'd do a little celebration. And I think it was really celebrating the small wins as I went. But to be honest, in saying that, there were days where I could not even look past that one day. Um, the skipper would give me the distance I had to paddle to get to safety. So he'd say, I'm so sorry, the island's 130k away. I actually thought it was 110. Like I told you yesterday, it's 130. And I had to develop this resilience for changes in plans and adapting because it's heartbreaking when you're told it's 110 and he checks the distances and we've got to take a different route because the wind's going a certain way and you add 20k on or 30k on. And I think the resilience was born out of necessity. I literally had no choice. There were times where um, he said, you've got to paddle 150k, which around then was the world record to get us to safety because there's a big wind coming and you're not going to have a chance to come back. So some of the times it was like I did not have a choice and I would look up at my crew and just, in the end, they knew what to say to get me through and they were amazing and it taught me that value of teamwork because you know in training with a squad and racing with your teammates, mm. the value of team cannot be overlooked. And I had a team of four guys, my husband and, and three other males, and it was really awesome to see them supporting, I guess, a female, um, you know, in what I was doing. That was that was really special. And <clears throat> they came up to the 24-hour record as well, which was really cool. Bonnie, what was the most unexpected thing you encountered in that circumnavigation of Australia? The, the first one that comes to mind is the massive shark that jumped out of the water in the Northern Territory. The Northern Territory is not something... I think it's not a place you think of with sharks. You think of WA, you think of South Australia. And the biggest shark I saw was paddling near Gove in the Northern Territory. Super remote area, the water's brown up there, around 100 metres up ahead. I happened to look up and I describe it like off the documentary. You know where they show the great whites leaping out of the water like huge? It was like, imagine that, landing in the water and the splash it put up was as big as a whale. This thing was huge. Like, I'm talking, it was, my, my ski's six metres. It was, I reckon, at least over four metres. It felt like three quarters of my ski land in the water and the massive belly on it. And I just froze in terror. I was like, what did I just see? And I looked at the boat. I was like, did anyone just see that? No one has seen it but me, and I had to paddle. Did you get out of the ski at, the, at that the point? The thing was, it was a time where, you know, I was talking about those winds were coming, that we had to get to our spot. I had to paddle through that bit of water up, knowing it was somewhere in the water around me. And I said to my crew, I said, come out here now, keep a watch out. And I basically came in really close to the boat. The boat had the engines going, they were really loud. And I was honestly for a couple of probably 10 kilometers frozen and you can see it's in the footage and I mean we're going to make a doco which is going to be exciting to show this my shoulders are just frozen into my neck I'm just looking around and that moment there really kind of snapped me back to reality of what I was doing because 
there were times where we'd be laughing and joking with the crew and I'd put my music in and the headphones and just trying anything to get through the pain. And then you would see something like that and be like, I am in the middle of the ocean, about 100K out. This is this is the danger. And um, it was always a mix between the pain and the fear of the animals. And I don't know what was worse. And <laughs> we did see a few crocodiles near me too. It just, it's not cool. Wow. Can I just say, Bonnie, you, you can't see my face right now, but like it's mortified. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And people were saying, oh, which was worse, the sharks or the crocs? And I spoke to both. both because apparently the crocodiles can stalk you. And I'll give you one. I'll give oh, you one yuck. more story. It's just one more story on the creek. It was at night time through the Kimberley at the top of the country I got stuck in this whirlpool so it's called an eddy and the boat's going around in a circle and I'm following the boat in this circle in the middle of the ocean in the dark so I did a lot of night paddling which is when the wind was down and the tides were in our favour so I'm following this boat and my coach on the boat said Bonnie come up to the boat I'm like yeah yeah I'm coming I'm so fatigued like just he goes no no right now come right up and sit behind the boat I've come up and there's shining flashlights torches out to the side of the boat and I'm like what are they doing basically a week later it took him a week to tell me they shone the torch out to the side of the boat there was a crocodile sitting 10 meters from me outside the whirlpool looking waiting and just no. yeah it's so I don't know which one's worse it's not okay oh, it's not okay <laughs> Bonnie this is it's like an Indiana Jones movie that's oh, incredible no, it's just yeah I've managed to sort of block it but um, um I'm planning to write a bit of a book and it's just kind of figuring out which things you put in there it's just yeah it didn't feel real at some point. <laughs> Bonnie you didn't just do this for yourself and for the challenge you did this for a really great cause you've raised a whole lot of money for Gotcha for Life can you tell us a little bit about that charity and and what's motivated you there? Absolutely so Gotcha for Life for a, a mental fitness charity and I really like they, they use the term mental fitness because when when talking about mental health, they're all about, you know, you, you train the body and you can train the mind as well and use these skills and develop resilience. And um, I basically heard about Gotcha for Life through um, the professional ocean ski racing series that I was doing prior to this paddle, um, did a race where they were raising money for Gotcha for Life. And I sort of looked into the cause and um, Gus Warland in Sydney heads it up and he had a, a friend, he, he lost um, lost a suicide. and his aim and purpose and his mission with this charity is is reducing the suicide rate to zero. You know, for me, it was through the pandemic that I looked around me and there were a lot of my friends suffering from anxiety, depression, and there were job losses, relationship breakdowns. And I thought, there is no better cause, particularly at the moment and moving forward, then mental health and for me now I refer again to mental fitness and I just thought I started looking in and gosh if life sprung to mind I thought that's right that charity let me have a look again and it was just the, the terminology they use around it I mean building emotional muscle they work in age groups as young as school uh, age through to corporate so all demographics all ages and I know that it's something we all need to prioritise because the statistics are there, the statistics are there that the suicide rates have been climbing and they're really quite frightening in the younger age groups as well. And I think it's something where it's really difficult to talk to our kids about mental fitness and, and resilience, but there's really nice sensitive ways to do it. 
And it was really interesting because throughout the paddle, I was tested so much with all of the things that, um, you know, Gotcha for Life talks about. I mean, that resilience and the team I had around me was so crucial. And I'm really excited. I'm going to go down there and learn more and more about them and help them deliver their workshops. And I think a lot of aspects of the paddle really crosses across well. And all of us can look at a time in our life where we've struggled or seen those around us who have struggled. And for me, I was just so glad I chose that charity. And throughout, I would have had at least 100 messages from people telling me how they'd lost someone close to them um, with battles of their own mental fitness. So, yeah, it was such a worthwhile cause. And to be honest, throughout, I thought of the record only, I don't know, a dozen times. It became all about Gotcha for Life and something that was much bigger than Mm. myself. Bonnie, we are just in absolute awe of you. You couldn't be a better ambassador for Gotcha for Life and the incredible work that they do. So thank you so much for not only raising awareness here at the Sports Social, we're big mental health advocates. So, you know, we're incredibly appreciative of that. And yeah, I mean, we're just totally fangirling over here. Like (laughs) what you have achieved is just absolutely unbelievable so congratulations oh. and I cannot wait to read your book it's yeah oh, I'm I'm, gosh, yes, I'm, sign me up. I'm incredibly grateful that there are strong female role models such as yourself for for my girl so thank you oh thank you well I can say right Thanks, back Bonnie. at both of you what you're doing is fantastic I had a bit of a look on socials before um and yeah it's, it's really really cool I love your reason why the why behind what you're doing so yeah thank you so much for the opportunity oh she was amazing. I never want to paddle in the Northern Territory. <laughs> Look, she didn't sell it for me, but isn't <laughs> Bonnie is amazing? <laughs> that is unbelievable. I'm stunned. I remember, and this is a random story, but I remember trying to. <laughs> oh, I love your random stories. <laughs> I remember trying to paddle in a little kayaky thing that you had with your brother. Mm. Yeah. And it was so tippy that I kept pulling in. And this is in the Brisbane River. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so many bull sharks. So many bull sharks and like dead cows floating by. And I was like, ah! Oh, come on. No, it was, they weren't dead cows. There were dead cows. There, well, they have been <laughs> back in the past. I don't know recently. Yeah, not when you were paddling. <laughs> but I'm like, I, I can't even imagine. we did that. Just... The fact that you can balance in one alone is a pretty amazing skill in my mind. Let alone for 10,000 kilometres. <laughs> um, Libby? Yes? I need to talk to you once again about Rugby Union. Great. Because I'm ready. As, yeah. Because once again, the referee became the key focus of a game of Rugby Union and it became very technical and it meant that for another year, Australia has not got a shot of getting the Bledisloe Cup back from New Zealand. Do you know anything about the Bledisloe? It's a a cup that (laughs) one team tries to win. I is it yearly? Is it a yearly one? It's an annual event or competition and it's it's only between Australia and New Zealand, right? That's right. Yes. And we have not won the Bledisloe for twenty years. No. And this game was like our best shot in a long time to get that Bledisloe Cup back. Why is that? Well, at the 79th minute, the score was 37-34 to Australia. Ooh. And we got given a penalty just in front of New Zealand's try line. 
and Bernard Foley went to kick it out and then there was some confusion between him and the ref about time being on and time being off. Anyway, he was just about to take the kick and the ref blew it up and said, no, you've taken too long. What? And handed a penalty to New Zealand, which is never good in front of their own try line. And they won the scrum and went on to score a try and won the match. But in the 79th minute. Is that a thing? So it's been really interesting. The feedback from all the different rugby union commentators and ex-players has been that they've never seen this rule applied. Lots of rugby league, com- uh, rugby union, I apologise, commentators had didn't even know this this was a rule, and it's somewhere buried deep in the in the rule book of rugby union, and it has meant that once again we don't win the Bledisloe Cup. But that's such a weird thing. Like, I mean, unless he took like five minutes. No, if you watch it, it's all it all happens in a ninety second time span. It's very short, and the crowd is epically noisy. It was a sold out game. You can see Bernard Follard's trying to understand where things are at in the play and what he needs to do. And you can see one of his other teammates realising that the ref is getting really stroppy about the time lapse that's happening and he's screaming in the background to kick the ball and then the ref ended it all. Is it 80 minutes in a game? Yes. So was he trying to, you know... Hand it to New Zealand? No, I mean I don't think so. I don't like these are professional referees. Oh no, no, no! I meant it, did Bernard Foley like try and take the piss and oh, like well, try, that's you know, yeah. So time. the so the argument is that from the ref that there's time wasting going on, but if you look at it, it doesn't look like anything you haven't seen in a game of rugby union before. I mean, oh, that's just so, gut wrenching. Yeah, that's incredibly frustrating. That was Thursday night. That was huge, and then Friday night. The Lions got absolutely thumped in their match against the Cats, the Geelong Cats. So Geelong are now through to the um, AFL Grand Final. Oh no! And on Saturday night, <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I think they, to be honest, I think with the Lions' season, they did great to get to where they got to. They weren't necessarily a consistent team the whole way through the season. And the Sydney Swans beat Collingwood on Saturday night in an absolutely unbelievable match that came down. Again, to the last minute, it was the ending. The score ended up being ninety-five to 90, 94 Oh wow! To the Sydney Swans, it was huge. So that it was such a cool match. So that's going to be a Geelong and Swans final Woo. at the MCG next weekend. And last night they awarded the Brownlow Medal to Carlton's Patrick Crisp, uh, Cripps, not Crisps, Cripps. Uh, he beat the I Brisbane like Lions. <laughs> I mean, I love potato chips. <laughs> That's my favourite. It's my favourite. Snack food. It's my love language. (laughs) It's like my Friday night. Give me a packet of chips. I'm so happy. (laughs) He beat Brisbane's Lockie Neal by a point in the Brownlow medal. And his, he does, I didn't, I've never actually watched the Brownlows before, but one of my friends messaged me and said, it's such a good way to watch what's happened across the season and to get a sense of who's been playing well and, and, and what sort of happened in and around the game throughout the year. So I thought I'll turn it on and have a look. And when they award the Brownlow, they then do a little interview with the winner on stage and talk about a whole lot of things. And it is so worth going and having a watch of that interview because he talks about how he found public speaking very nerve-wracking and he hated talking to the media and how it was such a – he looked up to his other teammates and was in awe of them. So he went and, like, 
got training and practiced and and it was just beautiful. That's adorable. He spoke a lot about his family and how important they'd been in his um, career, his playing career. It was just a lovely little sporting moment and so much more. I mean, I have not watched this guy play at all this year, but I was absolutely taken in by the the story he was telling about his sport. Oh, Patrick Cripps, well done. There's been controversy in the NRLW this week. We spoke last week about Taylor May mm. receiving a two-match ban that was then suspended because it's finals. Oh, finals. You can't suspend you can't suspend anyone during finals. Different rules. Not allowed. Anyway, not allowed. So the NRLW had a player who put up a Instagram post that um, was received well that the NRLW or NRL Integrity Commission deemed to be inappropriate. That in in of itself is questionable. And that player has received a one-match suspension, immediate, and been docked 25% of her pay. What? Which if you're an NRLW player, that's not – you don't have a lot of pay to start with. Can we clarify what the post was about? So Caitlin Moran made a post relating to the Queen's death. She's an Aboriginal Australian and she put forward her views on the Queen's passing. And I think we have to acknowledge that we are two white women talking about a very about an issue that we really can't speak on and we have no lived experience about. And she put forward her views and that is what she's been reprimanded for. Ray Hadley described it, and this is the, this is the point that I lost my mind, as the most reprehensible thing he's seen in rugby league. Cool. So not all the, you yeah. know, sexual assault, just general assault, no. none of the, you know, no. racist no, or homophobic. <laughs> no. No, that this this is the biggest issue. This this, this is this particular Caitlin, Ooh, Caitlin is so the mad. most reprehensible thing he's seen. I want to put him in the bin. <laughs> so Strength we the bin, disagree, Ray. Ray Hadley. That's just silly. <laughs> Don't I feel for these women. They're being held to a higher standard than any of their male counterparts at getting paid a fraction of what they getting they're getting paid with half the support. Yeah, it just, I mean, it's, I mean, you can just see why people just continuously get frustrated with the disparity between expectations of females versus males or different races, like different genders. It's just, yeah, it's so, it continues to be disappointing. <laughs> Very disappointed. Um, the NRL have worked out their final four. So the North Queensland Cowboys are going to play the Parramatta Eels cool. in Townsville Ooh, this week. That'll be a cracker. A local derby. Well, you, are you a are you a Cowboys supporter? No, so being from the area. No, I. So when I lived in Townsville, we didn't have a NRL team. It was purely the Brisbane Broncos. So I've always been a Broncos supporter. And then the year that I moved to Brisbane was the year that the North Queensland Cowboys came in. So if I have to choose, it is the Broncos always, but um, my, obviously my second team is – You'll take the – I'll take Cowboys. the Cowboys, yeah. It's a good choice at the moment. It is. And the Penrith Panthers are going to play the Rabbitohs. If you haven't watched rugby league all year, these would be excellent matches to all of a sudden jump in on – Tune in have a bit of a watch. now. And for the, for the unsporty people out there, don't feel like you have to sit there – and watch it and do nothing else. Like for me, watching sport, it's something that's on in the background a lot of the time or 
I might be reading a bit of the paper because it's the half an hour I'm going to get to sit down that day. Like it doesn't have to be a dedicated, allocated time you spend watching sport. It can just be something. But isn't that how sport's supposed to be watched? (laughs) Aren't there (laughs) rules around watching sport, Georgie? There are no rules. I mean, there are lots of rules in sport, but there are no rules around the viewing of sport. You can do you. Just enjoy it. Just have it on the background. Don't feel like you've got to saturate yourself in all of it. You'll get, too, you'll get bored. Yeah, eventually you get bored. This week's also really exciting because the Opals are going to be playing in the Basketball World Cup, which is being played in Australia. Oh, that's amazing. And it starts on Thursday. Uh, so the Opals, it's really exciting because Lauren Jackson – at the age of 41, has come back into the team. Because this is the really, I mean, that's been the really big news this past couple of weeks is that Lauren Jackson got reselected into the Opals, what was it, like 10 years after she mm. retired the first time? and Yeah, so she's come out of retirement to do this. Yeah, she's 41, she's got two kids, she was the goat of the WNBA for for years and years and, you know, an incredible player, uh, an incredible human and just the fact that she's been able to come out after after a lot of injuries, like through her first mm. playing career, like she had a, a huge amount of injuries. So the fact that she's at 41 up there and, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see how how it all transpires. I think it's also been really important for the Australian team in terms of rebuilding after Liz Cambage left and left the team at quite at such a crucial point mm. in where they were in their season. So I think it's been nice to have some of that knowledge, that team knowledge, that that history of how how to be an Opal and how we play. Yeah, and as well, like obviously that that the Liz story has been quite dramatic. Like there's been lots of twists and turns, and you know hearsay and allegations and things like that so it's yeah good to kind of put a good news story for for the Opals team and yeah move forward and hopefully build that strength as you said with that knowledge and understanding of of how to achieve at the highest levels in that sport. We haven't spoken about something that was announced this week that I know would have rocked your world and that is the retirement of Roger Federer. I just... I mean, I, Are you not, you're not talking. I, about I don't it. know if I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> I don't know if I'll you ever be are ready. Heartbroken. <laughs> Roger was my favorite. I mean, look, I it, it was completely expected. You know, he is. Um, you know, he's 41. He's had a ridiculous amount of injuries um, over the last sort of three years. He really hasn't been had his best after when was it? And when he won the Australian Open for like the final time. And really since then we haven't seen him play to any consistently high level. But I mean, in terms of a role model and an idol of mine, oh I've been obsessed. I've been obsessed. And he's been my favorite. And he's just he's one of those humans that had that real intensity, highly kind of volatile emotions, and then he was able to find whoever he needed to channel that into the play that we we saw and the composure and the humility, the grit and the grace in which he played was just magic to watch. So, And I think he's, even the way he's retired is kind of perfect. Yeah. Like he let Serena have 
the time that she needed and he certainly didn't want to overshadow her moment. And the way he's gone about it this week is just delightful. Yeah. And you can see the respect he has from his, I guess, colleagues or fellow players in how they've received the news. I think the most beautiful post I saw was from Rafa and his reaction. (laughs) I mean, the fact that those, I mean, there's that viral um, clip of them where they were trying to present something for a charity event that they were doing together and they just pissed themselves laughing pretty much the entire time. And like the joy that that sparked in me and I'm sure lots of people around the world was just magic. And like the fact that those two were such incredible competitors, but obviously incredible friends as well. I mean, that's, that's the sign of not only a great athlete, but a great human as well. Right. I, want to tell you what I've been thinking about and talking about the last couple of weeks and it's got a similar vibe to the conversation we've just had with Bonnie Hancock. Mm-hmm. So I am someone that if I'm in the car anytime around 11, between 11 and 12 in Brisbane, or if I'm at home, I will turn the radio on and just have a listen to whoever Richard Feidler is interviewing on conversations. <laughs> You're showing um, uh, uh, your age, Georgie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm not 60. And yet, <laughs> I, I, Richard Feidler was like how I discovered podcasts. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> through Richard Feidler. For, through Richard Feidler. Most people know, have it through true crime conversations <laughs> or like, you know, different true crime podcasts. But oh, maybe when Feidler. I was like 25, I was acting like a 55-year-old. <laughs> But that's how I I discovered all types of podcasts because I would listen to Richard Feidler and I'd hear part of the interview and I'd want to go and finish it off. And so through that process, I discovered the little podcast symbol on your phone. Anyway, so I always sort of have a check-in and see what's been going on in conversations. And the other day I stumbled across an amazing conversation that they had with uh, Australian rower Michelle Lee who had rowed solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. In a boat. Like why? Like, (laughs) I mean, look, Bonnie and Michelle are amazing. They're incredible humans. But like, what is that about humans that go, just going to do this? So I know. And they are, so she did her training at home. She would set up like an ergo machine and she would row for 10 hours a day with no TV, no music, no podcasts. She just sat there in her little apartment and rode and that was part of her training because she knew that once she was out on the open water, she just had to be comfortable with her own thoughts. Oh, no. Day after day after day. Oh, no, we don't want that. <laughs> it was fascinating. One, She also described how... Every week or so, she'd have to get herself really g'd up to jump out of the boat to scrub the barnacles off. I'm not, I'm not a boaty person, but the hull, I guess, so because that was creating resistance and slowing her down. And she would have to really, you know, psych herself up to jump into the big, deep blue ocean because there could be lots of munchy things under the boat. Can't she get someone else? Like, you're rowing. Get someone else to do this. She's solo. She doesn't have a support boat. Oh. She's just out there. I know. Like. I know. Did she do it for these, a reason women, or just, just for shits and gigs? 
Well, one of them was an actual event and you had to pay a whole lot of money to even get the event information and they used that as sort of a culling process. But here's the craziest part. She has now started her next solo row and that is from the US to Australia. Wow. So at the moment, and I love, this is why I love conversations because now I've gone down this (laughs) rabbit hole where I've read about her, I've like listened to other conversations she's had with other podcasters and now I'm tracking a boat or a rowboat that's going (laughs) going from the US to Australia. So every couple of days I log on and see where she's got to. That's so cool. Just amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong. The idea of being by yourself for an extended period. Sounds really nice. (laughs) Is very enticing. <laughs> it's an extreme way to do it, though. I mean, just. I mean, I feel like it's an extreme way to do it. I feel like I would rather just go and check in at a health retreat somewhere for a week. <laughs> People, though, Liv, would look at you and your swimming career and go, I could not do what you did and look at a black line. To be fair, I, I look back and go, I don't know how I do that. What do you. Oh, yeah, I still don't understand what you think about. Or do you just not think about anything? Are you just in a zone? Yeah, I'll look. You know, if my coach is listening, I used to think about stroke count and <laughs> technique and I definitely didn't just think about what I was, <laughs> you so, you never... <laughs> was going to eat for breakfast or <laughs> the song that I just heard on the radio. Definitely wasn't thinking about that. Just focused on the task at hand. Oh, I just, yeah, I... I know that if I ever go into swim laps, I quickly forget how many I've even done. There's just so little to occupy your mind. Mm. It was such a joy though. Like that's all I had to do. It was so much fun. I was talking about it to Luke the other day, actually. It was like, ah, oh, just, just to have that, like just to train for two hours in the morning, go home, eat, have a sleep for three hours, go back and train, eat, sleep, like oh, simplicity. It's beautiful. I think there are other ways you can have simplicity without swimming 10 kilometres a day. Look, you're not wrong. Do you have anything you want to tell us about other than don't go on holidays with small children? Uh, the, the, the topic front of mind is don't take kids on holidays. No, I'm kidding. I I think the thing that really struck me yesterday where, as I said, we're staying at Malulba, but just incidental exercise. <laughs> Is that, oh, it's, nice. a, it's a whole new concept. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of this, Georgie, but incidental exercise. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing. Cause I, I would have walked about just over 10 kilometers yesterday, you know, back and forward to the beach and, and things like that. And it's such a, like, it's just being active. Like, Rather than, you know, necessarily getting in a car to drive anywhere, which is obviously everything that we do in Brisbane. But just being able to have that simplicity of walking everywhere is really Mm. quite delightful and um, makes you feel good. You know, I was bloody tired yesterday and I felt like I'd done a proper workout and I hadn't done any intentional workout. So I thought that's a nice reminder to try and take back into life at home. I love it. I think, yeah, the more you can walk to your destination, walk to a school pickup, you, you never regret it. No, exactly. I mean, you might as you walk three tired children home. Yeah, no, that's hill. deep regrets there. But, you know, other than, <laughs> other than that. It's 
good. Get outside, be in the fresh oh, air. That's exactly right. Just, yeah, that, I mean, that's been the, the joy of it, right? That's, that's why we do holidays. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Sports Social Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at the Sports Social Podcast. If you could rate, review, share, like, subscribe, they, that all helps everybody else find us. Yes, because we would like other people to find us also. We're very grateful for you who is listening. For finding us. For finding us. Thank you to our family members <laughs> for listening. Have a great week, George. See you. Bye. Bye.